0: Let's pray the Lord to come to us, pray that we meet with him, but more importantly, he meets with us in our worship this evening, let's pray together, Lord, we echo that affirmation in our worship now in prayer in a way just to extend our worship in praying to you come Lord Jesus come come again we thank you that you do that though in your providence you send representatives and different people and angels yet you come to us personally too. And we need afresh to meet with you. So would you help us? And when we pray like this, Lord, at the opening of our worship, we confess to you now. You're the God of life. Forgive us our denial of life. Our destruction of its hope. Our denial of its needs our distortion of its possibilities, we ask that you would, as we were singing, fill us with your spirit of life, that we might be people of life, servants of life, encouragers of life, signs of Christ, the life of the world. So often, Lord, we preoccupied with the immediate, with the temporary, we are short-sighted and we leave ourselves no time for things that are eternal and full of your love. We pray as we will conclude this brief prayer time to lift up our heads that we may see Christ in all his glory And all things in their true perspective and regain the equilibrium that we need just for one more week to go home, to go to work, to interact in the community, to engage with neighbors, and to be part of this living community of people who confess that you are Lord So tonight, come to us again. And Lord, it is incumbent upon us to reach out to each other. In all the variety of human experience, yet again, we share that we are very human, very fragile. And our mortality bears down upon us, we know it well, even the young among us. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom and incline ourselves to you. So we thank you as we echo that longing in the book of Revelation that we might be in the spirit on the Lord's day. And we might truly know what the Spirit is saying to the churches in our day. Deliver us from mere speculation. And give us a confidence that you continue to build your church. So we worship you once more. In spirit and in truth. And we pray for the glory of your name. Amen. The group are going to stay there. It won't be long. I hope you can stand all right. Catherine's going to read to us now. Thank you. We'll have two readings tonight. Catherine's going to read from Revelation 4 and then we will look into chapter 5. Thank you.
1: The throne in heaven. After this I look A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives for ever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives for ever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being.
0: Um, Grant, would you put that one question up for a moment, please? We are going to divide the sermon into two and um, halfway through just the one question. Could you put that up? I want you to only the question you can't okay, there it is. The question. Um, how does this concept of God's throne help our prayers and worship? Okay. Keep it back. That's good. So we're going to what we're going to do is to look at chapter four, break into a couple of groups for about less than three minutes and resume and go into chapter five to ask this question. How, and put it in the back of your mind, in the light of what's going to be said from chapter 4, how does this concept of God's throne help our prayers and our worship? So we're looking at chapters 4 and 5, and in a way, this is sort of giving us the bigger picture, and soon we're going to get into some interesting symbols and images in the course of the weeks that are to come. What we said already, just to, by way of recapping on last Sunday, as we journey through this book, we can at least agree on three things. First of all, that this is a book that is about Jesus. It's not about plans, and it's not about speculation, it's not about Something even, though that's included. Essentially, it is Jesus, the first and the last, the living one, who dies and is alive forevermore. It's not about charts or events, and so forth. Secondly, and it is this is very important, when we think of Revelation, it is a pastoral letter. It's a letter to the church. I know it's complicated in places. It's a pastoral letter. And John is concerned not only about the seven churches, all of them have their problems and difficulties, which we know about. And he's concerned as to how they're doing. He knows they began well. What he wants to do now is to encourage them to race well and finish well. That's what the book is about. And the great crescendo of the worship of the Lamb in heaven gives us um, a key for that. And the third thing that we said is this, when we approach Revelation, and this is so important because there's I mean, so much speculation, so much uh, proselytizing among the cults, particularly the Jehovah Witnesses, it's important how these three things as a bedrock in our thinking. It's about Jesus. It's a pastoral letter for the Church. And thirdly, it does reflect a different way of expressing truth. A different way of thinking, if you like. And what we did last time was to quote uh, Eugene Peterson when he said this. "Revelation are nothing of substance to what we already know. Well, that's a good start, isn't it? So, that is really saying, you know it all already. It, it isn't like that. What it is, is this. I read Revelation not to get more information, primarily, but to revive my imagination. Our imaginations, for sure, are stretched. And we are asked to expand our senses. Not just think, thinking out of the box, it's forget about the box altogether. Allow your imagination to think about the glory of heaven and what it's like. So that at the end of it, when we look at this book, uh, in, in greater depth at least it would be this that whatever our plans whatever our longings we would cry louder or perhaps we start crying for the first time Maranatha come Lord Jesus come Lord Jesus the great cry of the church well those at the very least are the three things that we certainly can agree on when we think about revelation and we can to have a go at this and I'm uh, going to move quite uh, quickly Thank you for coming back. It's a tricky book. all sorts of things we're going to. And particularly next week, there will be some interesting things coming out. Um, When uh, the astronauts of NASA uh, put the first men in orbit, high risk, and indeed they have, as you know, been fatalities, the astronauts insisted on having a window for their taxi. The planners, the engineers and so on and so forth, said, "No, touristy. too risky. They said, we're willing to take that risk. The astronauts prevailed. Because what they wanted was, when they leave us, they wanted a new perspective which was unique in the history of mankind. The historic journey they saw Earth, the same Earth, from a very different perspective. That's what we need to do when we think about the Lord Jesus. It gives us a different perspective. I hope that that will come to us as we read through this whole uh, fascinating book. A global perspective, a changed perspective, if you like. So we ask the question as we go through Revelation and it's this does your life does my life does our life need realignment in the light of a new perspective what changes do we need to make as we think not simply with blinkered eyes but now with a much broader perspective do we need a different if you like a different Trajectory that the Spirit works in our lives. Well, here we go then. Revelation 4 and uh, 5 is given to prepare us for what lies ahead, if you like. This is the sort of foundational stuff. So we step into chapter 4 and we gaze now in awe on this vision. And the vision is God is on the throne. Her Majesty is on the throne of the United Kingdom. God is on the throne. And there are three things that come to us from this. First of all, God's throne speaks of majesty. Look at chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. At once, I saw in the spirit and there before me was the throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Not only really, is this what's called anthropomorphic language. The language of humans trying to explain the divine, the mystery, if you like. And then you have this lovely picture. Try to picture it in your mind. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carmeline and rainbow resembling an emerald, encircling the throne. It's sort of concepts of brightness, and power, and resplendent glory. God is on the throne. And that's what we need to sense, really, a regain a sense of awe, that God is awesome. But what are these 24... Um, Look, there you are. um, And there were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Flashes of thunder, peals of, and so on and so forth. Well, okay, let's try to at least say these 24 first, representing the Old Covenant, the 12 tribes of Israel, and representing the New Covenant, the 12 apostles. And so you've got this idea. of of a vision of God that is communicated to his people. When you think of this majestic, awesome God and this rainbow, it's an echo back then to the covenant. One of the first promises that God has made. Never again will I flood the world. And you know, when we see that rainbow, we say, yes, it it can be explained. But it's there of God's promise to us. He's still on the throne. When you see the rainbow next, let that remind you, he's in control. He's in control. Secondly, God's throne speaks of purity. You get this, look at um, verse 4 and verse 5. From verse 5 particularly, these 24 elders, they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbling peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. If you look, if you have a footnote in your Bible, it's the sevenfold spirit speaking about perfection. But the Holy Spirit entrusted to his church, changing us all the time, transforming us. And it's a hint here of the people of God across the centuries, the old and the new covenant being Ratified. The concept of these peals of thunder as well were accompanied with the giving of the law. And if they have not been rescinded. Whatever people's moral framework, whatever, this hasn't been rescinded. They still apply today. And these seven months, the, the Holy Spirit and his perfection working in the church. And then you've got a picture of Jesus moving among the lampstands. So the throne speaks of majesty. The throne speaks of purity. It's an eternal covenant. It cannot change. It cannot be broken. And then thirdly, we think of this vision from John, from, from, at John House in chapter four. God's throne speaks of sovereignty, of power. And look at verse eight. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and covered their eyes. It's a flashback, of course, to um, uh, Isaiah. He saw the Lord in his temple, high and lifted up. It's a wonderful vision of the glory of God. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And it's all-seeing God with his eyes everywhere. God's throne speaks of sovereignty. Every throne, every seat of power can be shaken. Sometimes suddenly. History bears that out all the time. The kingdoms of this world come and go, rise and decline. Not this throne. That is the great confidence Of Christian people. And of course the backdrop to this is. The cauldron of persecution. The difficulty of being oppressed. By a regime who is saying. Caesar is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And that can be costly. So. We've got these three things. And that question I want you to look at, in, just in a moment, just for about two or three minutes and we can share what you think about this. But when we think about God's sovereignty, and we've said every throne of power can be shaken, not this one, because God is in control. However, we are not puppets. We have freedom, we have will. And the interesting thing is that we are given free agency. And one of the things about the angelic world is this, that part of that angelic world is in rebellion against God through the devil who is a fallen angel. That's a great mystery. Nevertheless, it's not a denial of God's sovereignty. But a God of absolute power and he's entrusted with us freedom even among the angelic beings and the angelic world is in rebellion until ultimately the fall as the first prophecy made the seed of the woman the serpent will be bruised under the feet of the seed of the woman the Messiah who will come Satan and his angels will be consigned to the lake of fire. So, you've got these three things. God is majestic, God is, is pure, God is sovereign. Now, if that's the case, we're going home, we are got to go to work tomorrow to you pay your taxes, we got to make the food, we to love the children, we've got all sorts of things to do. How does this concept of God's throne, when we live out our lives, if that question can come up, grant? to live out our lives, how does it help our prayers, not only in church, and our worship, not only in church? Now, three minutes, and then the group will come up and they're going to lead us as we shall respond by saying, our God is an awesome God. But could you just get into a couple of groups? Do it now, and uh, see how we do.
1: And. We just commented on the fact that um, we should be in awe of God when you mentioned the lightning and the thunder and also the splendor of God is different to us and um, the fact that the worship was continuous we probably don't worship enough.
0: No. Um, Okay. Any other comments along here? Quick. In. Don't you volunteer, people? My wife's great for volunteering, people. Should we ask Hannah? No. Yeah, look at that. Okay, you've had some thoughts. Uh, we got. Oh, you've got. Okay. Right. Be concise. Okay, that's good. I am always concise. I, well, yeah, quite so. I think you think I've got a reputation. <laughs> um, no, I think when we're praising, musical praising, it's very easy to sing a song, isn't it? And actually, when we come to church, we come to praise. And I think if you think majesty and purity and sovereignty and the fact that who you are singing a song to, we're not just singing a song, we are praising, sure. And this reminds us who we're praising and how we should pray. And that's, yes, thank you. You are very concise, thank you. Any of, Ron Endine's folding his arms as if to say, don't ask me. I should, should. Oh, you are? Oh, right. I, thank you, Hannah. It was just helpful when we thought about the
1: concept of God's throne. Helping us uh, that as we come in prayer and worship, we come into such a mighty God, right. and it's, it's very humbling to know that this God mm. hears our prayers, and we must keep on reminding ourselves that He is always a great, mighty God, far beyond whatever we could understand or even think. And also, that we're trying to understand what it would be like when we get into heaven. You know, uh, something you think might not meet somebody else or I might not know who's my husband or my wife. But whatever a situation, it will be a very, very happy time. Thank you,
0: Hannah. Thank you. That's good. Um, and just very quickly, Stuart, because it's interesting. If we stop the chapter 4, the whole point is that John is, is asking this sort of question and he starts to weep and he's inconsolable. And the reason is that God is so... Distant, who is worthy? No, you you no, you be concise with Simon. Well, I don't think it. I was that concise. No, okay. I know. I sort of rambled a bit about the so meaning. Anyway, right, I guess I was thinking about the whole um the vision of the throne and the precious stones and the gold and the fire and as Elizabeth said the um the, the thunder and the lightning and sort of almost the fearful approach of it. It's a separateness, um, that God is holy and perfect and we're not. We're sort of common. As you look at a, the royal family in the old days, it was a it was a way of life you couldn't even aspire to. It was separate from you. You could see them in their gold carriages and their splendour and all you could do is look on. You couldn't even be part of that life. Whereas the the good news is that Christ has bridged that gap between us and God. Yes. And that we can share yeah. in yeah. that glory. And that's where chapter five comes in. Thank you for all being concise. Sorry let's take- the word indeed I know I know that's good, that's good right so we're thinking about this awesome God and uh, Rob's going to lead us let's stand as we just take this response in this way please stand thank you you might to sing this with your eyes closed and you can as Jeff said Revelation helps us imagine more and you are part of the host of heaven if you like praising your God on the throne and it doesn't matter if you don't remember all the words it's your worship Which the Lord deserves and delights in. Our God is an awesome God. Let's begin very quietly. If you have a Bible, turn to chapter five. And um, I'd want you to help me with this reading. I'll read just the first uh, eight verses, and we'll pause. And if you're to share with somebody else, uh, we're going to um, have sort of a type of not responsive reading, but a collective reading. So we will read verse nine and ten, and then we will read part of verse twelve and thirty. Okay? But I'll read these first uh, eight verses. So you see this awesome God, his power, his majesty, his glory, his sovereignty. The scroll and the lamb then. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice who is worthy to break the field and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, see The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the kingship of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals, and surprise, surprise, those symbols of power are now given, then I saw a lamb. Not only that, but a lamb looking as if it had been killed, slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints now then after I read this sentence we'll join in with you are worthy and this is the new song you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain with your blood and you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures, and the elders. And in a loud voice they sang together, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, singing together, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said Amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. Just two things. We get into the sort of the, 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 the spirit of this and it's, it's, yes, God's an awesome God, but how do we draw near to Him? And what is this scroll? What is it? Well, The cry goes up for one who is worthy. Who is going to step up to the plate? Who is going to interpret its meaning? The meaning of our existence, of our destiny, of our whole purpose of being here, and what happens when we leave here. Who can unravel the plot? Bring on Socrates, or Plato, or Newton, or Einstein, the point of revelation is this: It's not clever people. This is a pastoral letter. No man, no angel, has the qualification to interpret history. As the old cliche goes, "It's history, it's his story," and he has the keys. And the one who steps forward is worthy. Worthy the lamp. And if, you know, it's the time Handel's Messiah has been sung in the roll of the Fall for almost with unbroken years, a lot, very long time. And you've got that wonderful climax, behold the Lamb. It's the vision of God. And although John begins to weep, one of the elders says, You don't need to. You don't need to. And the reason? See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its servant seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. Just two things very quickly, and then we'll come to communion. Don't make the service longer than we need to. Christ is the key to human history. You get that in verses 5 and 6. You don't need to read it again. You could read it for yourself. And, and we've already looked at this in, in Revelation, Revelation 1 and uh, 18, um, where it says, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Christ is the key to human history the solution to the human malady of sin and our imperfection, enter the Lamb. The Lamb is all the glory in heaven. The Lamb. And a song of triumph and victory. The one who stands between the awful God and the plight of human sin, as we of course know the great substitute. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the great sin bearer. He is worthy. He's the only one who is worthy. Christ is the key to human history, and lastly, with this type of foundation now, as we get into the book, Christ is the fulfillment of human experience. I know. From my own experience and from some of you it's very us to make sense of life sometimes. Christ is the fulfillment of human experience. And so in verse 11 I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, ten thousand times ten thousand, encircling the throne of the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice. The theme of their worship, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's almost it's such a contrast. The Lamb who was slain, this same Lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it, of the triumph. So Christ is the key to human history, which we may speculate about, and Christ is the fulfillment of human experience, which we may well struggle with. And that, of course, is the strong element of faith as well. And what John wants to impart, as he has these visions, is to say, now let's get clever, but let's have a conviction that the Lamb is on the throne, God is on the throat, and God wins. God wins. The explanation gives way to worship. That's the point of some of our responses. The explanation gives way to worship. And our response is yes, but we don't worship enough who is worthy, our worship of him. We derive encouragement and inspiration from chapters 4 and 5. And then when we get into chapter 6, the vision of the Lamb opening the scroll. And may I just encourage you to read ahead. Try to do a bit of preparation in your mind. So at least you know the lay of the land. And let's see, in the language of these seven churches in Asia, what is the Spirit saying to the church? And, and you be responsive, you think ahead. What is he saying to our church? Because vision not only comes from the elders, if you like, but it comes to them as well. And within the church, there's a two-way communication. God wins. Enter the Lamb. Enter the Lamb. We're going to sing a uh, hymn now. And uh, you will see that they cast their They lay their crowns. And in the language of Charles Wesley, you'll pick this up. And what we would try to do if we had time to make some of as we often say, the connections between some of these traditional hymns and things that are written in Scripture. Love divine, all love excelling. Have a vision of the love of God and his glory and we'll use this as we come to the Lord's table. Shall we stand together? We're going to use the prayer of preparation, which should come before you. Most of us know it, but if you don't, just read it prayerfully as we think of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's use this prayer together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts, by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please sit down. Just one verse now, which is taken from the book of Revelation, to the churches. Here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, opening our hearts, our lives. I will come in and sit with him. And he with me. And there is this fellowship, the coming together of our Saviour and ourselves. So may we share in the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.